Here we've got episode 171. Have you experienced cancer or you're worried that at some point the big C is going to come knocking at the doctor's door? At the very least, it's highly likely that you know someone that has been affected, which is why you absolutely should listen to today's episode. The modern day disease narrative really sets you up to live a life with the unconscious belief that I'm just hurtling towards a diagnosis and the only thing that might be different for me is the age that it happens, no matter how young or old. However, the story we have in our minds really is a symptom of the modern diet and the farming practices that produce both the healthy and the processed food that ends up in our bellies. This episode really gets to the core of what needs to be done in the soil, in the food, and in your day-to-day life to both prevent cancer and insert chronic disease and begin beating these diseases with the food that your genetics has been used to for literally tens of thousands of years. This one is necessary listen for everyone that values their health and more importantly, those that really want to spend less time dying. So, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Here we are on what is going to be another mind-bending episode of the show. The plan this year in 2022, well, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. As many of you know, or maybe you're finding out for the first time, my own journey into nutrition really began when I had multiple epiphanies working in a cancer hospital. Two of those being, no one ever talks about the cause of disease, and if the World Health Organization say diet and lifestyle are the two biggest players in cancer, why are doctors not trained in nutrition and lifestyle medicine? This is what began opening Pandora's box for me of the truth about well, pharmaceutical companies and alternative medicine. And along the research rabbit hole, I came across the book called The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, of which today's guest is one of the co-authors. And we actually had the other co-author on episode 95, if you want to check that out after this episode. So I'd like to introduce you to one of the world's most impressive nutritionists, Jess Higgins-Kelly, as well as a nutritionist. She's also a journalist and an educator. She has been a private practice oncology nutrition consultant since 2010 and has extensive experience working with cancer and chronic illness clients worldwide via her consulting company, Remission Nutrition. She's the co-author of two books, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, Integrating Deep Nutrition, The Ketogenic Diet, and Non-Toxic Bio-Individualized Therapies, and the second, Bioregulatory Medicine, and Innovative Holistic Approach to Self-Healing. If that's not impressive enough for you, This amazing woman actually set out to solve one of the confusing epiphanies that I had when I worked in the hospital and is the founder and director of the Oncology Nutrition Institute, which provides online certification programs for qualified health practitioners like doctors, nutritionists, PhDs, nurses, and trains them in the emerging field of modern and integrative metabolic oncology nutrition therapy. And she was kind enough to have me on recently uh, as a guest speaker at the Institute, which I'm super grateful for, and it was such an honor. And when she's not being an international superstar, Jess actually does normal human things like trail running, skiing, surfing, sailing, yoga, getting her hands dirty in her own organic garden and spending time with the fam. A big warm welcome, Jess. How are you doing? Hey, virtual high five. (laughs) Great. Thank you for such a fun introduction. Thanks for having me. 
You're very welcome. I'm excited to have you here. Now, we were talking beforehand in via email that you're trying to get some of the warmth from here because you're basically iced in where you are, right? Yeah, we're iced in here in New England in the middle of January. And, you know, my new mission uh, in the field of nutrition is really trying to grow a lot of my own food here. And so Mm -hmm. it's sort of a a sad little time in the garden. But uh, it's also great because I've filled my house with sprouts in the windowsills and I have lemon trees growing and, uh, you know, trying to bring a little bit of that inside. So yeah, but I was excited to talk to you and hear just a little little ray of sunshine coming from <laughs> down under. <laughs> well, hopefully we can transfer some warmth It's because it's about 34 degrees it. here. So I think that's about 93 Fahrenheit. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, speaking of things in the windowsill, I have an avocado seed that is absolutely killing it, and I live in an apartment in the windowsill. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. One of our things that we try to get all of our clients to do is just at least grow some sprouts in the windowsill. Mm-hmm. It's so easy, and right. broccoli sprouts are so nutrient dense, and it just kind of gets yes. you that little connection to growing your own food. And it's so fun to watch. I mean, it's therapeutic in its own to watch a little plant start to show up, you know. Oh, and in the context of the cancer stuff, like broccoli sprouts and sulforaphane is like yeah. ideal. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's one of the easiest things that you can do to grow your own food at home and have like a nutrient dense jar of these yummy little sprouts to just chuck on to your dishes and, you know, know you're getting some nutrient density. So it's fun. The indoor gardening thing is cool this time of year. And I definitely have gone kind of wild. I've got olive trees and hibiscus and Tulsi and um, all sorts of uh, my oregano came inside, you know, so it's fun to bring some of those things in and just be able to nibble on them throughout the winter. So so you've got a bit of an indoor sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sort of creating a little bit of like a sun feel so you can sit in by the window by the plants and transport. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. So we were chatting before via email when we were figuring out what yeah. to do. And, and I remember the first time we caught up on a call, um, you, you talked a little bit about your journey and you started um, in journalism. And I'm just really yeah. curious to learn about that journey because I think in the world of health, uh, and we're learning a lot of, about this on summits and events uh, and stuff like that now. But journalists, investigative journalists are really the unsung heroes of the health world and the evolutions that the health world goes through. So, you know, you went from journalist all the way through to running an institute to educate doctors on nutrition. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of that journey? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it just really starts with just having an unsatiable desire to learn. And that's really what pulled me to journalism in the first place is just sort of telling stories and meeting people and learning what makes them tick and learning about different concepts and what people are doing so that, you know, you learn how to present the facts. You know, I've been a writer since I was like little. I've always loved writing and journalism was great because it was, you know, we've sort of lost this a bit now, but, you know, we're taught present the facts. So I really just think of myself as just a conduit of, you know, distilling the news of the world into a bullion cube, you know, for the masses to digest. And um, so, yeah, I went to journalism school in Colorado and um, focused on community journalism and sort of, you know, different 
current events and that type of thing. And, um, and I worked for newspapers in Alaska and Idaho and all over the place and did sort of just current events, what's happening in the, in the local, um, local towns, small towns I lived in. And then, you know, I, it pulled me into marketing in the outdoor world and I worked for ski companies and did public relations and all that. And then, you know, the fusion of like being healthy and being outdoors and working for outdoor sports companies and ski areas and stuff, you know, a big missing piece is, you know, you'd see these athletes who are incredible and then they eat garbage. And I'm like, wow, you know, think of how, you know, it just seemed like a disconnect. So I've always been interested in nutrition and, um, you know, the power of nature and plants and bioactive components. And so I was lucky enough to go to nutrition school years later and, um, and really get the understanding. Like I can't write about it unless I really understand it. So I wanted to know the research, know the background to just really feel that I could write with authority about it. So, um, so now it's kind of the best of both worlds of writing about food and nutrition and farming trends and diet trends and, and all that, and just sort of researching and learning ever learning. So yeah, it brought me to doing two books and writing different magazine articles and having a private practice for nutrition for a long time. And now we're training other doctors because it's hard to, you know, just do the one-on-one all the time. It's like, there's such important messages to get out there. So it's nice to train others. I don't have to yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. That makes perfect sense. And I guess as well, when dealing with such chronic patients, um, energetically, it can be really con- consuming. Yeah, it really can. It can. And I lost my dad to cancer. I had been practicing like sort of family practice nutrition and sort of starting to go more into oncology when my dad got diagnosed with glioblastoma multiform, mm-hmm. which is that stage four really advanced, like the cancer you don't want to get because if you leave it untreated, it's, you know, three months. And so um, that really just was an eye opener to be on the other side, sort of on the, you know, when you're working with folks, you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, just make some bone broth and do some broccoli. And they're like, <laughs> wow, gosh, do you know how bad I feel? You know, you know how hard this is. And and so it was really insightful to be on the other side and see what it was like for the patient journey and mm-hmm. going to scans and sitting in the hospital and having people come around with trays of cookies at six o'clock in the morning. And it's like, huh? What? Why? Why? That makes no <laughs> sense. Like, we, why aren't hospitals, you know, feeding people super nutritious food? Like, why is this being left off the menu? It makes no sense to me. So that really kind of fueled up a little bit more passion to kind of try to get, you know, metabolic nutrition into part of the standard of care for people who have cancer, because this is such a key piece. And it's something that's non-toxic and non-invasive. And why are we getting milkshakes when we should be getting like therapeutic smoothies? So, yeah. I'm so with you. I remember when I was working at the cancer hospital, it got to the point where I was so deep down the rabbit hole outside of the hospital in like the nutrition world and the kind of, you know, the understanding the chemo movement and blah, 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 um, that the dietitians were just on the ward would just like run away when they saw me coming because I was just became relentless. And they'd be like, oh, here's this guy that thinks he knows about nutrition. And it's like, all that matters is micro albumin levels. So, you know, 
more protein powder and energy, calories. That's it. That's all that matters. Right. <laughs> right. Right. It was just, you know, the prevailing thing over the years, you know, we've worked with clients and they're like, well, you know, I asked my doctor what I should eat. And they say, it doesn't matter what you eat, just don't lose weight. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of times we've heard that. We have to just keep speaking to that. It's like, if your doctor doesn't know this information, it's time to find a new doctor who actually recognizes the therapeutic potential of metabolic oncology nutrition, because it's a game changer. Like we've Mm -hmm. seen it help so many people from the quality of life to quantity of life. You know, it just seems that it, it, it's, strange that it's left off the menu. And what we're getting told is like these meal replacement drinks that are just high fructose corn syrup and soybean oil. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. But last time I checked, that wasn't on the list of like superfoods. So yeah, more, it's like death juice, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect <laughs> way to say it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can of death so, juice. <laughs> so we were, we want to talk about, like, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about. I know, yeah. Like, we could just go forever, I think. But I, I really loved that when we spoke last, you were talking about how the the sort of the nutrition issue is the whole supply chain wide, basically, and it goes all the way down to the plants in the ground on the farm. So even, you know, even the processed foods that we end up with on the other end that might be labeled as natural or organic or, you know, insert buzzword for marketing actually are not that great because of the farming that they experience and the soils that they experience. What got you super passionate about that end of the food chain? Yeah, you know, it's been really fun, you know, after I've been practicing nutrition for over 12 years. And, you know, there's so many different magnets that you're like, wow, this is super fascinating. And I need to go that way. And I need to dive down that rabbit hole and research this. And, you know, I felt like there's, I was either getting pulled towards like the clinical, like, What's happening in the science? What's happening in the lab? Like, what are they finding out about, you know, resveratrol and its anti-cancer effects? But then this other magnet was like, hey, how how can I talk to to people about food if we don't talk about food quality? Like where the food is coming. So it's like mm-hmm. we have the supply chain to health, which talks, you know, it starts with nutrient-dense soil. Nutrient-dense soil produces higher nutrient content produce and mm-hmm. uh, and then that elevates your nutrition status and keeps you going along on a health trajectory or there's the supply chain to disease which is you know these nutrient depleted soils being treated with chemical synthetic fertilizers and nutrient additives and really lacking in um you know the 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 mycelial the the microbes that we really need to improve health and so if you're you know what I'm really excited about um what they're doing at the Bionutrient Association and Dan Kittredge and these bionutrient meters so cool where they're testing the nutrient content of, you know, let's say a carrot grown on a, you know, a conventional farm versus in a regenerative agriculture farm. It's a, the, the difference in nutrients is, is huge, you know, 40 times more nutrient content coming out of these vegetables that are grown in organic, uh, you know, great poop compost. And so I was like, okay, well, how can I talk to people about it unless I can do it myself? Right. So part of nutrition starts with self-reliance and growing your own food. And I think as people have become disconnected from their food source, that's really Mm -hmm. changed 
their, uh, you know, mental health. I mean, you think about it for people who have been hunter gatherers and then early, you know, most people had a backyard farm, you know, up until about 1900. And those numbers have plummeted, you know, and so people don't even know what goes into their vegetable. It looks like a tomato. It kind of tastes like a tomato, but it's not the (laughs) tomato of our ancestors. So I think that, you know, with cancer prevention, what we're seeing now because of the toxins that we're exposed to at such a young age, it's like we have to start preventing cancer the second you're born. So getting kids uh, eating food that's grown in regenerative agriculture, soils that are, you know, rich and teeming with nutrients and microbes, you're just going to get, that's the foundation. It's like nutrition, I feel like has to start on the farm because if Mm. we don't have farms, if we don't have these small amazing farmers that are doing things the way that they've been done for thousands of years, we're going to have these big industrial farms and then we don't have food. So we, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a responsibility for everyone who works in the field of nutrition to talk about where your food is coming from, you know, like looking a little closer at it um, instead of just going to Whole Foods and being like, sweet apples from New Zealand. And it's like, well, there's no nutrients in there. (laughs) So, totally. And they've been yeah. in the freezer for 12 months. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've been picked too soon. And so I just, what we're seeing is that, you know, you get these farmers with these farm stands, you know, you know, the second that you pick kale, we were talking about kale earlier. I've got my little weepy little kale from my garden. <laughs> Trying to survive the ice storm. Come on, buddies, <laughs> hang in there. You know, they start losing their nutrient content, you know, within three days of being picked. So if you're getting food that's been picked, you know, weeks ahead of time before it was ripe, like tomatoes, and then you're just not getting that nutrient density. So I feel like it has to start a lot sooner, people paying attention to this importance of farming. And, you know, nutritionists and farmers need to be like holding hands together, like walking through to send this message, because that's really where health starts on the farm. Totally. We actually had um, Regen Ray on episode 151, and he runs Farming Secrets here in Australia. And he's currently getting around the outback in Australia, meeting farmers. Um, He's a good friend of mine, and we talk about this stuff all the time. But one of the interesting things, and I mean, many people know, like people are twice as likely to move away from pain than they are to pleasure. And I think, you know, talking about the idea of a of like having a farm at home and these super nutrient dense amazingness is sort of the pleasure conversation. And so I'd really love it if you could sort of highlight why massive monocrop commercial farming is is a pain point for people that they should be aware about. Like why is why can't they do that? Like there's all these people living in the city that are like, I do this job for them, they do that job for me. Like, you know, how do we get out of this sort of commercialized society in order to get back to that? Because there's obviously significant problems in this monocropping agricultural industry. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we're seeing as far as, you know, industrial foods, so it has more toxins, pesticides, you know, rates of childhood leukemia have increased almost 35% in the last 25 years. And a lot of it is linked to exposure to toxins. And here in the US, we have a really great group called the Environmental Working Group. And they, um, you know, 
pick the dirty dozen every year. They test, you know, the pesticide content in some of the most commonly consumed produce items and, you know, the soft skin like tomatoes and lettuces and strawberries. I mean, they can have upwards of 40 different pesticide residues on them. And so the more that we monocrop, which is, you know, it's a monocrop, mono diet, it's not how things exist in nature. So mm-hmm. it's, you don't walk through the forest and see just one perfect line of wheat. It's like everything entangles together. And what we lose a lot in nutrition, I think, is talking about the synergies between having, you know, pairing things like lemon and green tea and how it increases its bioavailability. Curcumin and pepper increases each, you know, the bioavailability and the phytonutrients. And so, Unfortunately, as we've become so industrialized, we have these farms that just mass produce a single crop. And because those soils aren't being taken care of in between, they just need to add more synthetic pesticides and more fertilizer. And that's not bio, that's toxic. It's, it's a xenobiotic. It, it completely destroys our microbiome. You know, here in the United States, we have a lot of um, use of glyphosate. So in that um, as uh, an herbicide pesticide. And we've been finding, of course, in the research of what it does to our gastrointestinal tracts and why we're seeing such an increase of celiac disease. And, you know, as Hippocrates said, all disease begins in the gut. So if Mm -hmm. we're eating some of these pesticide-laden foods, we're going to be just inoculating ourselves with toxins. And so um, I think... But people also have lost that connection. So not only are we getting a lot of toxic exposure from these big agricultural industrial farms, but we also don't have a connection. So we're put, we're ingesting food, we're putting it into our body. And I think that this is where a lot of the food addiction comes from, from processed foods is that, you know, when I cut my bushels of kale, it feels a lot different than when I go to the big grocery store and I get like a little limp, you know, yeah. bundle there, you know, because I'm like, I watched it and you kind of connect with it and you start to, you know, kind of harmonize with your plants and your food sources. And it, you know, that energetically also is really good, I think, for the mind. And we're seeing so many people with just rates of depression and uh, addiction. And I think that a big part of it comes from losing our connection to our food sources. I mean, not Mm. only are they toxic for the environment and for us, but I think on an emotional level, we just have lost our connection to earth and to the plants and, and animals that sustain us. So. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny because it's morning time here for me. Um, it's like the start of the day. And one of the first things I do is I go for a walk barefoot um, on on the grass and, and stuff like that every single day. And it's with like, and I don't turn my phone on until midday. Uh, that's mm-hmm. pretty much a daily thing so that I can just be like present with essentially nature and just that reconnection to the land. And And I guess as well, even though I am in a city, I, you know, it's, I'm doing it as best as I can. It re- reminds me as you were talking there about nutritional uh, nutrition uh, nutrient density in plants that are grown on regenerative farms versus conventional farms that a lot of people in this sort of you know commercialized world think but I can just buy supplements right like can't I just supplement my way out of this and uh, can you talk to that a little bit yeah I'd love to talk about that we see <laughs> I can this see the expression <laughs> on your face like what 
Hold on, everyone. Yeah, hold the phone on that one. So I can't tell you the numbers of clients that have you know walked through our doors that are on supplement lists that are three pages long. I'm not even kidding you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and and they and we're like, okay, well, what are you eating? You know, send us your supplement list, but then like send us a dialogue because that's kind of more important. And it's like, oh no, 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 no. You know, it's the the pill mentality. Like, oh, I'll just mm-hmm. pop a pill so I don't have to eat a Brussels sprout or whatever. And, um, you know, in nutrition, as you know, we say it's not what you eat, it's what you digest. And because so many people have, you know, rates of digestive disorders are through the roof. I mean, it's become normalized to see pictures of people with, you know, colostomy bags, young people, you know, this is really common. And it's like, oh, cool. Well, yeah, let's just accept it. No, this is not okay. Like that is not cool that young people are like not digesting what is going on. So until people repair their whole digestive tract, mm-hmm. why bother taking supplements? How do we even know that they're actually being absorbed, that they're a bioavailable form? And then most people don't um, test to look at the saturation and blood levels to see mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Well, are we testing? You know, I think a big thing that we're seeing, we're trying to change the conversation around is testing micronutrient levels. It's like, why are we not testing vitamin C in our cancer patients? Why don't we know how much vitamin C yeah. is in their body? Why aren't we testing the, vi- why aren't we testing magnesium? Why aren't we looking to see, but then we'll just, you know, it's like a, you know, buckshot. It's just like, brrr, let's just supplement everything and mm-hmm. think that that will work. And it's like, that's not the point. I mean, we really have to start. We always trying to bring people back to like, it's food first. You've got to get your microbiome, you know, repopulated. And people, of course, that have been through certain chemotherapies, they have a lot of damage to their gut. And then to just think that you can dump on a bunch of supplements and get out of it, not necessarily if you're not absorbing it. It's very expensive poop if you are not absorbing (laughs) those supplements. It's like, no, 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 let's wait, you know? And and I, uh, you know, not to everyone's trying their best as practitioners, but, you know, we're seeing sort of a trend in naturopaths of sort of just being like green uh, allopaths. It's just like, well, instead of prescribing drugs, they're just prescribing a bunch of supplements. And it's just, it might be, you know, resveratrol or indole 3 carbonyl, but it's still a pill. So why not get, it's just an allopathic approach with green medicine. And so I think that that's a really important point for, you know, when people are starting out on their regenerative journey, you know, someone has a chronic illness, it's like, don't start putting yourself on all these pills, like start by, you know, planting seed in your yard and doing some things to repair your gastrointestinal tract. It's like that I think is the first place to really start to cultivate health is just coming back. It's like, I tell everyone go outside, eat a little dirt, get your hands in the soil, you know, pick some stuff from a garden, whether it's a, Mm -hmm. you know, you go to a local farm and you get a CSA or whatever, just to try to get that soil connection, you know, back into your body. It's supplements. There is a time and a place for sure. But, um, I don't think it's the right place to start all the time. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. 
If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you'll receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, then, I mean, we can go into the conversation as well about brand quality, supplement quality. Yeah. And there's plenty of supplements that, you know, obviously don't have the same package of um, supporting micronutrients around, you know, the, the one that they're featuring in this particular right. supplement, which obviously food from nature has all of the bits and pieces to support the absorption, yeah. assimilation of, of right. those micronutrients. But in addition to that, like a lot of the times they're synthetic analogs, which don't yeah. quite fit the receptor sites in the same way that food will. Yes, absolutely. And then, it, and then the problem is, is the fallout is that we see it in research. So it's like, oh, um, folic acid, not good for cancer. And people are like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't take B vitamins. I shouldn't eat meat. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Folic acid is synthetic. Folate is the natural source. So you're taking yeah. a supplement that's a synthetic form of a nutrient that's been isolated instead of eating, you know, some a piece of meat that's from a grass-fed, pasture-raised, pasture-finished mm-hmm. cow, very different sources of of B vitamins, you know, folate content and dark leafy greens, very different than a synthetic folic folic acid supplement. So it's, you know, I think that that's where it gets frustrating in the world of nutrition is just these blanket statements. You know, we get people, "Oh, I read a study, you know, meat's meat's bad for cancer." And it's like <laughs> okay, so can we differentiate between were they grass fed, were they grass finished, or were they capo cows? Or you know, oh, did you, we read that um, you know certain forms of synthetic beta carotene not good for lung cancer? Well, yeah, the studies were done using a synthetic form of that nutrient. So, mm-hmm. and then it's unfortunate, you know, as the journalist in me, I'm like, wait, did you read the study? Did you see how it was put together? <laughs> like, let's you know, because yep. mainstream media just blasted out like, be scared of nutrition. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to look a little deeper and kind of break it down a little bit more. And and that's where I think it's important that there's more, you know, journalists looking at, you know, how nutrition information gets broadcast to the public because people get afraid of food. You know, like someone the other day was like, flax is bad. I'm like, we don't need to worry about flax is bad. Like, let's yeah. <laughs> let's focus on like the ultra processed foods that have things that don't exist in our environment. Let's focus over there. So uh, let, let's do that. Let's focus there. So ultra processed food and and like how they affect farmers and how they're affecting this, the whole supply chain, basically, which obviously ends up with this sick population that we've got. Yeah. Yeah. It goes along with the whole industrialized 
food movement. So, mm-hmm. you know, on the shelf, when, and, and the, the study that came out in August is that 70% of Americans get um, their diet, the majority of their diet from ultra processed foods. So this mm-hmm. is there, it's not even really food and, and it's, a, it's built in a lab. So yeah. humans have never eaten synthetic. We're, we're, we're biological living human beings. And these ultra processed foods have no bioactive components. They're caloric and they've been, you know, additives and sugars to make us addicted to them. It's, they're just mm-hmm. drugs. It's, you know, and there's a move towards pharmaceutical foods, which is quite petrifying. That's terrifying. Yes, it's yes. terrifying. <laughs> yes, it's terrifying. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So keep your eye on what's happening there of modifying um, different vegetables to contain um, vaccines, me- medical. Um, oh, wow. Yes. So that is a something that's being discussed and, and being tested in the lab. So, you know, I think what it comes down to it, you know, at least in, in kids, it's like, we're, we're starting to see cancer it's such a younger population. I've been talking to a couple of colleagues in the last few weeks and everyone's like, have you seen more kids come through the door? And it's like, yeah, this is not like, okay, this is not just reserved for old people anymore. We're seeing so many more cases of pediatric cancers come in. And, you know, if they're eating, I mean, I feel like nutrition's really simple. You need food and water to stay, you know, mm-hmm. to stay alive. If you just eat food the way that it was grown in nature, it doesn't need to be that confusing. But when mm-hmm. you see these kids and they're eating stuff in packages with crazy colors and you read the label and you're like, there's not a single thing in there that occurs in nature. So you're feeding your body this fuel that it doesn't recognize and that, you know, creates altered signaling and inflammation and immune deficiencies. And, and so we're, we're not getting nutrients from these industrial processed foods. We're getting just synthetic food. It's not even food. It's yeah. It's just just energy. It's just calories. Exactly. It's just calories. But, you know, as we know that calories are not calories, not just a calorie. So, you know, but that's sort of that old diet dogma that people have been, you know, it's like, oh, you read your label count, look at the calories and look at the Mm -hmm. fat content. And it's like, no, no, no. Okay. So we look at labels different now, you know, like look at the ingredients, you know, cause it's mm-hmm. not, ju- it's, can you recognize it? Do you know how to pronounce it? Can you grow it in your backyard? Can you fish it? Can you hunt it? Can you, you know, is your neighbor a rancher with great healthy outdoor cows? I mean, you have to be able to look a little closer at these labels and, you know, ask yourself, you know, you are what you eat and what you digest. So yeah. It's, yeah. The label reading is big. Well, and that's it's so indoctrinated, particularly for women, which is why at the start of the show I say I can help you get healthy without counting calories yeah. because if we put real food in, like, and, but it's so many people are just conditioned from, oh, and, and I'm always ranting against personal trainers, you know, that are like calorie deficit, bro, like, you know, that whole argument. Yeah. Because it just perpetuates the, perpetuates this psychological issue, and yes. and I think nutrition is simple. But because we're in this world, this hyperinflated world of dopamine addiction to yeah. social media, to um, you know Tinder, the ability to find sex on tap, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like all of these dopamine events, yeah. Netflix, Facebook, sugar, vegetable oil, insert thing. That when it comes to being like nutrition is simple in comparison to the dopamine experience you can have on your phone in a split second. Yeah. Nutrition's actually like 
I've got to go there. I've got to prepare the food. And there's all of these steps. So whilst functionally it's simple, we're also dealing with the psychology of people that are highly dopamine addicted. And so anything that takes more than five seconds is hard work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people are so, they want the fast, what's what's fast because we've taken on too much. And it's like, Mm -hmm. instead of just slowing down and I think that it's like, throw the calorie thing out the window. It's like getting women to just let, just forget what you've ever learned about nutrition. Just forget it and just go back to eating what your grandparents ate or what you can grow, what you can get within a hundred mile radius that farmers have grown. And you're going to, I mean, that's it. It That's pretty simple, but it's, I've so many of our clients, you know, if they come in, they want the prepackaged, I get the delivered food program and I'm going to do this mm-hmm shake program, or I'm going to do this particular bar and the calories are all counted out for me and I don't have to think about it. And I Mm -hmm. think that where weight loss happens is actually you have to start thinking about it. You have to start thinking about your food source and the food quality first and calories, who cares? I haven't counted a calorie. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) what's the point? If you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. But when you start to food feed your body. A lot of us are hungry because we're nutrient depleted. So they, a long time ago, there was a really amazing research study where it was a, um, uh, orphanage where this researcher put out tons of different types of foods and let the kids pick and choose which they wanted to eat. And they could have as much or as little. And there was one kid who had rickets and literally drank cod liver oil. Like your body craves what you're depleted in. And when we're depleted in nutrients, it creates this hunger sensation and nutrients are what's it, what are involved for creating serotonin, creating dopamine, creating all those neurotransmitters. So when we're depleted, we're trying to fill a hole that's, you know, it can't be filled with food or social media or any of that. We need to fill it with our connection to the planet and to where our food comes from first. And when you create that emotional bond with your food source, that's where we see our clients make the biggest change. It's the ones who are sending us the pictures of like, check out my new garden. Like, look what's growing in the backyard or wow, I got my sprouts going in the window. So we're like, send us pictures. We want to see what you're doing so that Mm -hmm. you have that bond, that relationship to something that you're growing and tending and harvesting. And I know not everybody is going to be like, I want to have a green thumb and grow my own food. But (laughs) there's an awesome, um, here in the US, there's, uh, you know, a few different websites that you can find. Um, It connects you to um, the local farms in your state. And we go through with our clients like, okay, you live in Massachusetts. Here's all the organic farms that are within your area. Like go make friends with them, go hang out on their farm, go talk to them, sign Mm -hmm. up for a CSA. And it's like, it's those emotional connections that, um, I think flip the switch for food addiction for people. And we've seen it Mm -hmm. a lot over the years of, um, when people start bonding with their farmers and bonding with their food sources and get out of these grocery stores. I mean, Whole Foods, look, you walk in there and it's like, cherries and grapes in the middle of winter and it's just not right. It's just not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I walk in those places and have like an instant panic attack. I'm like, this is not <laughs> right. This is not how it should be. This is not food where food quality comes from. So I think the more people get in touch with, 
you know, what goes into the whole process and develop sort of a spiritual connection. That's that we've seen the biggest change for our folks who are far down the path, you know, turn around when they really start taking control and ownership and self-reliance over where their food comes from. So and the interesting thing too in this space when you uh, I think it's it's so scientized if you like yeah. like you know like nutrition and medicine and it's so technical and you've got to have been to university for so long that mm. when you end up moving into this space of like connection and energy and community people kind of throw it out you know they're like yeah. oh that sounds a bit woo woo and made up and fluffy um but that's how we exist before the last 100 150 yeah. years that's primarily how we existed for all of humanity. And it's like, it's, it's crazy. And I think we're seeing this with COVID, but like, it's crazy how quickly humanity forgets the past. Yeah. We've been here for thousands of years. Yeah. We've seen tyranny thousands of times. Mm-hmm. We've seen sickness thousands of times. And there's so much knowledge in the ge- human genome that has been forgotten. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like, you know, looking at evolutionary medicine is a big spot where people need to start tuning in. You know, our clients are so quick to be like, well, look at my genetics and look at my labs and let's get really focused on pathways with cancer and and what's going on here. And it's like, Woo, we need to take a step back and look instead of going so deep down the rabbit hole of pathways mm-hmm. and, and all these different, uh, you know, things that are happening on a cellular level and look back and look at the evolution of medicine. I mean, nutrition has been a staple in traditional Chinese medicine, in Ayurvedic medicine. These are the oldest forms of medicine that have been around for thousands of years. And we're so quick to drop our look at evolution and what we've always eaten and what we've always done. And humans have never been more sick. So but what's really changed is our food sourcing. I mean, that's been one of our biggest cultural changes, addition to toxins, but also changes to food sources. And yeah, it does sound totally wooey. And I like, it's like spiritual connection. Like I totally get that. Like I'm like, yeah, whatever clients are like, tell me about that. What supplement to take to block this? And I get that. (laughs) But the reason I think we've gotten into this mess is because Mm -hmm. we have lost our, that connection. We have lost that connection Mm -hmm. to our food and our food sources. And we need to get back to that. I mean, with COVID, it's true. Just like you were saying earlier, you know, you're going to the grocery store and there's not a lot of meat. There's not a lot of veggies, not a lot on there. So it's like the healthiest foods are going to be the fastest to go. So if we don't have self-reliance through community farms or CSAs or these small farmers going out of business, then we don't have medicine. I mean, it is our medicine of choice, right? So yeah, I think that that and that emotional connection, because if you're depressed, you know, there's a big correlation between mood and instance of cancer. And so I feel like horticulture therapy is something that can really help people with the weight journey and the health journey. And oh, I totally agree. And it, it, it's like that old adage, laughter is the best medicine. Yeah. And, and I think it's been a saying for so long. And actually, I met here in Melbourne the world's leading researcher in laughter yoga and I met him at at a business event but I then ran into him at the cancer hospital and he comes in and he does laughter yoga with people and and, and he's kind of making the woo-woo science-y so people can consume it and so that it's accepted and he invited me to one of his sessions which was 
like you've got to leave humility at the door for this experience. <laughs> but it, but it's that same kind of thing is that, yeah, that laughter is, you could say, a spiritual experience, right? Yeah. A connection with other people in this, you know, this dimension of hilarity um, yeah. that makes people feel good, right? Right. Yeah, it emits biochemicals in your body that make you yeah. feel good. It's, you know, we get so gooped up in nutrition, it's got to be like something to stress out about. It's like, no, no, it shouldn't be stressful. It should be fun. And I, like I said earlier, or who was I saying it to? I'm like, my motto these days is just, we're telling everyone to just watch funny movies and drink homemade lemonade with (laughs) lemons that are, you know, if you can grow your own lemons, which I do in my house, um, you know, so nutrient dense, so good and just laugh and have lemonade. It's like, we got to just like, (laughs) yeah, stop taking ourselves so seriously. And, And I feel like, you know, with that, there's so much guilt, you know, people, you know, at least with our population with cancer, they'll be like, oh, you know, I've been eating bad for so long and I feel so guilty. It's like, get that shit out the door. Leave your guilt, you know, check that at the doorway. Like you can't go back. Don't feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And if you do have like a a treat debt, what? It's all good. Just enjoy it, but don't beat yourself up. It's like we have all these emotions around food. And if you fall off the wagon or you can't stick to it or, you know, that it's, you should somehow degrade yourself. It's like, no, it's, it's okay. Like we got to just, there's so much energy that comes from like how you perceive what you're eating. You know, they did those studies where they had people prepare food and they were like, swearing and in bad mood and they were like being all negative and then another group prepared the food and they were like doing it all loving and like played music in the background and then they served it to two different groups and the group there was a noticeable difference in the energy around how people felt when Mm -hmm. they ate the food so yeah i'm totally going on the woo woo track here but oh no i I love it because i i can't wait until we can like prove that even though there's part of me that thinks we shouldn't prove it you know what i mean it's like we shouldn't take the magic out of that and make it clinical, if you know what right. I mean. But part of me also thinks the world is so clinically and sterile-minded with yeah. modern medicine that we kind of need to do that to get them on board. Right, right. And what happened to the ritual, you know, around mm. eating where now people eat in front of the TV or they eat on the run or they eat in their carts. You know, a big part of what we do when we work with clients is like create a little ritual. So we have everybody who's trying to develop a new relationship with food to eat out of a bowl with chopsticks because then they slow down bowls like oh. round, like mother's wombie kind of taking care of nurturing. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just say a little something about your food, a little grit. That's what people did for a long time, you know, a little, totally. whatever religion you are, a little grace, a little prayer, a little, whatever you want to say. And then just kind of call in like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I have food in front of me. Like, how about a little more ritual and, you know, gratitude. We were talking about gratitude earlier for food. We're lucky to have well, it. And, and that's a pretty common thing even nowadays with hunters. Is yeah. that like when they take a life in order to feed, you know, the community or the family or whatever, there's usually a spiritual yeah. gratitude practice around that where they thank God or Gaia or Mother Earth or whatever yeah. the belief system is, but just to acknowledge that, you know, to thank the Earth or the universe for supplying this opportunity to eat. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we see if, you know, the work of um, Temple Grandin, who made designed pens for animal slaughter to be more humane. And she found that when they went through like kind of a more gentle uh, pathway into where they were eventually slaughtered, they had less cortisol levels in their muscle meat. And mm. so, you know, the, the less stress the animal is before it's killed can change the composition of cortisol. So if you're getting cortisol animals all the time, mm -hmm. then you're going to have, you know, change in your steroid hormone composition. And so um, it's the same with, yeah, hunting and giving thanks. Uh, my husband's a hunter and got a lot of turkeys this season. And it was really cool to sort of do some, you know, thankful rituals around it. And then, you know, knowing everything that goes into butchering a turkey and processing it and everything. There's a lot to it. You know, I've said to people, you know, if you're not willing to do the work and shoot an animal or kill yourself, then don't eat it. But I'll tell you, if I, if I, when I have to go, I, I would like to go as a cow because yeah, I, I visited farms. I did a story a few years ago for um, a edible magazine and I went and visited a, a meat processing, you know, small plant. And it was like, this cow's like awesome life in the pasture eating grass comes in a little into the little pen and then boom in the back of the head and i was like wow i mean not a bad way to go i mean it's pretty good yeah, for a sudden. Day. none of this chronic degenerative illness stuff for 30 years <laughs> i know i know <laughs> no so uh yeah it's i think you know thinking around giving thanks and gratitude for the the plant. I have a farmer girlfriend who is like at the end of the year, she's like, oh, my tomato plants, I can't bear to cut them out, you know, of the garden. And, you know, you get mm -hmm. connected to some of these things. And that's a state, it's emotional nourishment, which I think is important in the conversation when we talk about oh, I completely agree. And it's, again, something that um, can't really be measured by modern medicine and therefore it's ignored. Yeah. Right. If it can't be validated in a double-blind placebo study, then yeah. it's not real, even though it's been around for thousands of years. And <laughs> I think that, you know, we have to, there's so many things that it's like we have to, it has to be proven to be real, but it's like, well, can we just go back? I mean, transport mm -hmm. back in time to what we were doing before everything got industrialized and changed. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, where can everybody find you <laughs> online? Like, I know people are listening and like, this is amazing. This is melting my brain. So, where can they connect with you and find your stuff and the institute? Yeah. Uh, so, we are oncologynutritioninstitute.com. And so, we've got a website, our newsletter. We send out different informational things. We have wonderful uh, guest lectures from experts like yourself that we open to the public. <clears throat> We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And then the consulting, our group, we've got a fabulous group of gals um, who work with clients and that's remissionnutrition.com. And we're on um, Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. So that's where we are with newsletters and all that. So yeah. And right. Yeah. Go. <laughs> oh, and then the book, it's um, available on Amazon and Chelsea Green Publishing, both of my books. So yeah. Definitely get a hold of them, everybody. Um, so I'm really grateful for your time and being here today. And for anybody listening, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it on your preferred social media platform. Or if you know a loved one that needs to begin the health journey or is in a chronic disease situation, share it with them. Um, and hopefully this can be the door to the next chapter of their health journey in a really positive way. Because Jess is amazing and everything she does is awesome. 
Um, Jess, from your journey, the final question I've got is, of all the amazing things you've learned, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Oh, what a good question. Um, You know, I think where I always sort of go back to is to uh, think about water. So, so many we're, people are dehydrated. Their water sources are, you know, from industrial water, have a lot of the nutrients taken out of them, a lot of minerals. I think that if we want to start like our base camp starting point with good nutrition is thinking about how you're hydrating your body because we're, you know, 80% water, your brain is surrounded by water. So we're, we're watery beings. So I think that the most important thing where we, if I could start everybody off with just thinking about how they're hydrating in their water mm-hmm. source and water quality. That's, you know, it's, it's simple stuff, but it's amazing how just switching up your water source can be so invigorating. I visited, uh, the, uh, a mistletoe, um, uh, factory, not factory, a mistletoe, um, Helixor in Germany, and they have a this amazing structured waterfall that they use to mm-hmm. water all of their plant medicine. And it's just when you look at the different compositions of different water of what it contains and the energy there, I think that that's, um, yeah, hydrate. <laughs> I think hydration is key. I think that's amazing and perfect way to wrap this up because everybody drinks everybody can access water right so yeah getting the water piece right is fundamental yeah yeah that's basically well thank you so much for being here I, you're absolutely coming back there's no doubt thank about it, it. <laughs> thank you i can't wait i could chat with you all day i really appreciate it thanks for having such a fun conversation oh you're more than welcome but um in the meantime you know where to find us uh, and everybody listening if you enjoyed this episode there's a few other episodes i've referenced throughout this episode so i will put it in the show notes below All the links, all Jess's links will be down below. And that's a wrap from us. So thanks for being here, Jess, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.